This is Letters in Grace. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's episode. As Gentiles, we often lose some of the depth of the scriptures because there is a lot of Jewish symbolism and imagery of Jesus in the scriptures that maybe we miss because we don't have that Jewish context. The Last Supper is an example of that. I don't have time for a great intro or setup here because of the amount I want to try to cover in a short amount of time. So here's the plan. I want to show you how John chapter six, where Jesus says he is the bread of life and my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. How the story of the Passover in Exodus and how the observance of the Passover at the Last Supper, how it all ties together to give us a deeper and better understanding of what Jesus was saying to the Jews about himself. John chapter 6 is one of the most often misunderstood chapters in the Bible. People often mistake what Jesus says and means when he says he is the bread of life. Of course, as Gentiles, not Jews, we struggle with this passage because Jesus was talking to the Jews and was speaking of very Jewish things. So let's understand the context so we can correctly understand and really unfold how wonderful this chapter is. Let's begin with the text of John 6. The bread of life verses are verses 26 through 58. So let me get you up to date where we are here. We have people following Jesus around. He's been performing miracles and teaching, and now Jesus feeds the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. The scripture says that the Passover was near, and this is important for what we're going to look at today. So after feeding the 5,000, Jesus walks on water, crossing the Sea of Galilee, and the multitude of people follow Jesus to Capernaum, and they're looking for more of this free bread, looking for a, uh, an ancient stimulus check, if you will. So more free bread, that's what they're after. So that's where we pick up the story. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Jews, and they are speaking of Jewish things. John chapter 6, starting in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Now listen as Jesus begins to distinguish between the physical bread that they seek and their need, not for this physical bread to live, but they need spiritual things. They need to be fed spiritually. They need spiritual bread. So Jesus continues, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him the Father God has set his seal. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Is this a question you ask? God, what do you want from me? What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered, and he said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, What then do you do for a sign so that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses 
who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, always give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Not he who eats and drinks, but he who comes and believes. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that of all that he has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Not he who eats and drinks my flesh, whoever beholds and believes. Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Now, the Jews weren't upset and grumbling because Jesus called himself the bread of life. They were upset because he claimed to be God. That's what got their feathers ruffled. Verse 42, they were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? They're upset because they understand that Jesus is saying, He is the Son of God. Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Jesus again clearly telling him, He is indeed the Son of God. Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, He who believes... Has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying, I am not physical bread for physical life. I'm also not a physical bread you must eat to have eternal life. He's saying, I am the spiritual food that can give you eternal life. He continues explaining in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, this is the bread which comes down out of heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So you not only need this spiritual bread of faith, Jesus says, but you do need my flesh. It's my flesh that I will give for the life of the world. I will give my physical life in exchange for eternal life for anyone who will believe. His righteous flesh 
is our righteousness and his blood our atonement. We know about the cross, so we have that benefit to understand, but they didn't understand that yet. Verse 52, then the Jews began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They choked on Jesus's words, totally missed the point. Cannibalism is clearly forbidden as is eating flesh with the blood. They know that. So they're puzzled. They're spiritually blind and they don't see. They think as some modern people think that Jesus is saying you have to eat his flesh. But to them, this was appalling cannibalism. It couldn't be more offensive and they are indignant. Jesus lets them choke on these words. Jesus is being true and truthful, but they don't understand he is speaking of spiritual things because they can't discern spiritual things despite being very religious. The Jewish leaders are that lost in their man-made religion. You see, religious doesn't equal spiritual. And just saying that you are spiritual doesn't get you to heaven. It is believing alone in the person and work of Christ. So that's why he says, as he continues in verse 53, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. And here we see another example of the dangers of people who pull a verse or two out of the Bible and develop an entire theology and doctrine around it. Now, if we only read verses 54 to 56, you can see how people would think communion is necessary for eternal life. But let's keep the context in mind. Remember, it's near the Passover. If we can understand the symbolism of Christ in the Passover, we can look and see what Christ did at his last Passover, the last supper. We can understand his words to his disciples as he instituted the ordinance of communion. Then when you come back to John chapter six, it is just so much more clear when you see the Jewish context of what Jesus was explaining when he told them that he is God who has come down and become a man and his flesh is our righteousness when we have none and his blood is the atonement for our sins, Israel's new covenant as promised in the Old Testament. We also remember that because the Jews rejected their Messiah, salvation came to us Gentiles so that we could also behold and believe and have eternal life by faith in the life and death of Christ for us. So let's begin with the first Passover by going to Exodus chapter 12. You probably remember the story. The Hebrews are about to be delivered from slavery in Egypt. Death is coming and God instructs them to put the blood of a spotless lamb on the doorposts. 
a spotless male lamb without blemish. It was to represent a pure and wholesome sacrifice to God, an image of the Lamb of God that would be sacrificed for sin. Traditionally, about 3 p.m., the entire nation of Israel would spill the blood of their lambs. The blood that was shed and applied to the doorposts would cause death to pass over. I find it interesting because it was about 3 p.m. when Jesus, our Passover lamb, died on the cross. Then they roasted that lamb and ate it with unleavened bread, no yeast. Yeast is an image of sin. And let's continue that picture now with the Jewish master scholar, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The context here is Paul talking about removing sin from within the church. He says in verse 6, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven is yeast, of course. He continues in verse 7, For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Here, we see a connection between Christ and the Passover for us Christians. Let's look at this. Paul says, Christ is our Passover. And Paul says, let us keep the feast, not with the bread of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Is Paul telling us Jesus is the Passover lamb we are to eat? Don't eat regular bread, eat unleavened bread. No. He's saying Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was sacrificed for us. Death passes over us because of his blood applied to the doorposts and lintels of our hearts by believing in Jesus' death for our sins. Now, here's the part in question. Paul says, observe and remember Christ's death for us with sincerity and truth. Malice and wickedness is no way to honor Christ's death for us. So you can see how someone could maybe twist this to eating bread, but clearly Paul is teaching a spiritual truth here about how we should repent and reject sin and strive to honor Christ's death for us with a life of sincerity and truth. Okay, now let's apply the same approach to the Last Supper. Some really, really great stuff here when we put it into its proper context. Let's jump over to Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 17. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. The disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. This is the Jewish Passover, and it takes some work to prepare. If you've never experienced a Passover meal, a Seder, go to YouTube and search for Christ in the Passover and watch the first video that comes up with David Brickner. I'm going to try to show you Christ in the Passover as Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. Imagine the Old Testament Passover pointed to Christ, and now here is the Christ observing the Passover and the meal that points to the work he is about to do on the cross. This is mind-blowing stuff to me. 
God brings the entire story of his love and eternity past and eternity future and the story of redemption for all creation. It, it, it all culminates and meets in this room as Jesus prepares to go to the cross. Wow. Let's begin the Passover meal. Now, what we don't get here in the New Testament coverage of this historic event is the timeline of the meal. So as Gentiles, it's easy to think these guys just got together and had one more meal before Jesus left them. Well, this isn't a farewell barbecue. Each part of the Seder is symbolic, and each part of this meal is packed with meaning. So we join the Last Supper, the Passover Seder, in progress. Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 20. Now, when evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve disciples. As they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, that one of you will betray me. Being deeply grieved, they each one began to say to him, Surely not I, Lord. And he answered, He who dipped his hand with me in the bowl is the one who will betray me. Okay, let's pause here. They didn't both happen to go for the queso at the same time. This is the highly symbolic Passover. They dipped the morsel in the horseradish, the part of the meal that brings tears, symbolizing the tears of the Hebrews shed in Egypt in slavery. And here, the slaves of sin will soon deny and betray Jesus. Verse 24. The Son of Man is to go, just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who was betraying him, said, Surely it is not I, Rabbi. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Now let me try to explain this next part of the Passover meal for you, best I can. The unleavened bread, called matzah bread, used in the Passover meal, had no yeast, symbolic of no sin, and was pierced and striped, symbolic of the words in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on him. And by his scourging, by his stripes, we are healed. This matzah bread is kept in a linen pouch at the meal. And this pouch has three pockets in it. And the bread is kept in the three pockets, symbolic of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, symbolic of the Trinity, although the Jews wouldn't have known that. But they take the bread that is kept in the middle pocket, not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The middle pocket would be the Son. Okay? This bread is unleavened, no yeast, whole, striped and pierced. It's a picture of Christ. And we are about to see Christ hold the bread that symbolizes him. But first, we have to explain where this bread has been during the meal. There is a point in the Passover meal where the middle bread is taken out of the matzatash, the bag of matzah bread, and placed in a linen cloth and taken out of the room for a while, symbolic of Christ being wrapped in a linen and put away in a tomb for three days. Then later, the bread is brought back into the room. The bread is unwrapped and little pieces are broken off and everyone at the Passover meal are told to take and eat. 
Now let's pick up the Passover dinner at this point as Jesus is taking the afikomen, the bread that represents the sun, and Jesus is about to break it and pass out the pieces. Verse 26, while they were eating, Jesus took some bread and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. This is amazing. When Jesus said, take, eat, that part is nothing new. That is the words of the Passover meal. It's what he says next. This is my body. You see, just like John 6, you have to know the context. Jesus isn't saying, this bread is my actual flesh, only retaining the appearance of bread. No, he is unveiling the symbolism of this amazing Passover instituted so long ago as God prepared the ultimate sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. He is beginning to unfold what is about to happen on the cross and beginning to show this amazing symbol of God's plan to remember his body broken for us, a symbol we can use to remember his sacrifice for us after he is gone. Let's continue. Verse 27. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. This cup Jesus took was the third cup of four during the meal, the cup of redemption. This cup of redemption, Jesus says, is the new covenant. His blood will secure for many the forgiveness of sins. God's covenants were sealed with the blood of a sacrifice. This time, though, it was not the blood of an animal. It was the blood of God himself, Christ's own blood shed for the forgiveness of sins and sealing this new covenant that God will never break. Wow. Amazing stuff. So now let's tie this all back to the passage of John chapter six. Do not work for physical bread. Behold and believe. You don't need physical bread. You need me, Jesus said. Unless you have my righteous life, you have no righteousness. And unless you have my atoning blood, you have no forgiveness. You don't need external things. You need this spiritual truth in you. Internalize this truth in your heart and live it. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent, Jesus said. It was not time for the Jews to believe. It was to fulfill God's plan from before time began that the Jews would reject Jesus so that the gospel would come to us Gentiles. This is why they choked on the words of Jesus, and this is why he let them choke on those words. We need to be able to understand the context. And just like in the whole of Scripture from beginning to end, God requires faith alone for us to be saved. Just like Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. We only need faith in the righteous Christ who died our death and paid our penalty for sin on the cross so that God now sees us as innocent and righteous because he sees us through the blood of Jesus Christ. 
So we conclude as John chapter 6 concludes in verse 66. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Jesus said unto the twelve, Will you also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. He couldn't have said it any better, could he? These are the words of eternal life.